You're listening to another life-transforming message from C3 Church San Diego. For more information on our church, go to c3sandiego.com. Come with me to the Gospel of John. Gospel of John, I've got such a great word tonight. Such a great word. Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, is where we're going to be reading. Gospel of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Hold the horse while I get on John. Just an easy way to remember it. It says, in the beginning, I love this. The last time you see in the beginning is in the very, very opening of Scripture, Genesis 1. In the beginning, God in Genesis 1, here it says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Like how awesome is that? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, but the Word was God. In other words, God and His Word are one and the same. You can't tell where the Word ends and God, the Word was God. One of the biggest struggles for us humans is keeping our Word. One of the biggest battles for me over the years has been, you know, over-promising and then struggling to, the Bible says a man is snared by the words of his mouth. God has no problem. In fact, the Bible says that God watches over his word to perform it. God has even given you and I the authority, the signet ring to have his word in our mouth to speak it out, to speak out his word on his behalf. That's what authority is. Jesus gave the disciples authority. The Bible says they came back and they said, man, in your name, in your name, the demons came out. Wow, we got some authority because God put His Word in their mouth and He watches over His Word to perform it. In this life, we, we have all kinds of contracts. We have attorneys and lawyers. They draft up contracts. What, what used to be a handshake and an exchange of words, no longer because people, when it gets inconvenient or difficult, they try and wriggle out of it. And so now we have contracts with caveats and affidavits and all kinds of things and court cases and, and judges have to enforce that this person made a commitment, made a, entered into a contract and now is trying to renege and they need to follow through even though it's gonna cost them not so with God. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the the Word was God, and the Word was God. Have a, have a look, it keeps going. This is so good. All things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. All things were made through Him. God made everything through the Word. That means the Word is through everything. God made everything through the Word. That's, that means the Word is through everything. That's why Jesus could stand on a boat and say, peace, be still. And immediately the wind and the waves obey Him. Why? Because it was all created through the Word. It was all created through the Word. So when the, when the, the wind and the waves heard the Word, they recognised that is the very Word that fashioned us. That is the very Word that gave birth to us. Yes, and it obeyed straight away. Jesus says to a fig tree, let no one ever eat fruit from you again. You've violated the Word and you lose your right to stand there bragging, look at me, I've got all these leaves, but no fruit. Let no one ever eat fruit from you again. The whole of creation obeys His Word. Whole of creation obeys His Word. And the Bible says that, well, this is my favourite part, verse 4, in Him, the Word, in Him was what? In Him was life. If you are underscoring anything, underscore that. In Him was life. And that life was the light of men. 
in him was life in in the word was life Jesus everywhere he went I'm not sure if you you saw this Jesus is the word everywhere Jesus went in him was life a woman with an issue of blood touches him in him was life in him was life the, the priests of the Old Testament they weren't allowed to go where the dead were they they, they weren't allowed to be in contact with a corpse if, uh, if uh, someone had leprosy, they had to cross over and walk on the other side of the street. But a leper comes kneeling before Jesus and says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Even though Jesus is the Word, He could have sent the Word and cleansed Him. But the Bible says Jesus goes an extra step. He reaches forward and touches Him. He touches Him because in Him was life. An Old Testament priest, by touching the leper, the priest becomes unclean. The, the, the leper of the leprosy, the sin of the sinner overtakes, but not Jesus. In Him was life. In Him, He was life overflowing. He's the fountain of life. And that life is the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Another translation, the NIV says, and the darkness did not overcome it. Then if you go to uh, Genesis 3 verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God really said? Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? The title of my message tonight is Fractured. The title of my message tonight is Fractured. Fractured. I want to put to you tonight that you and I live in a fractured universe. You and I live in a fractured world. When something is fractured, it means that it loses its potential for a season. If you fracture your arm, you, the strength of that arm is put on hold for a season. If you fracture your foot, if you fracture your leg, you can't run, you can't bear a weight load because the fracture renders it. We live in a world where the Word of God, the Word of God that dispenses life, and that life is the light of men has been fractured because Adam and Eve leaned into Satan's trap. Has God indeed, can you really trust what God says? This is, this is remarkable to me because if you read Genesis 1, God says, let there be light, light was. Now you need to understand if you read your Bible, which I encourage, it's not until, it's not until the fourth day that God creates the sun. But God in Genesis 1 verse 3, four days before the sun, says, let there be light, light was. God didn't need the sun for there to be light. God didn't need the sun for there to be light. God doesn't need the best physician for you to be healed. God, God doesn't need the market to change for you to prosper. God doesn't need circumstances to change for you to buy a home in San Diego. God's Word has enough power. Whenever God sends out His Word, each word contains the power of God. Each word is filled, is impregnated with what the Bible says that God, when He sends out His Word, it never returns to Him void. It always accomplishes that for which it is sent forth. The Word has power. The Word of God has power, has life-giving power, has life-generating power. The Bible says that God said, let there be light and light was. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the heaven. And it was so. Then God said, let dry land appear. And the dry land appeared. And then God said, and it was so. 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 And then God said, let us make man in our 
our image and in His image. Everything God said, everything God said had a 100% track record. He said it and it was so. He said it and it was so. So the enemy comes in, he, he knows if, if all of a sudden you as the vice region of God are walking around on this earth with His Word in your mouth, it's game over for him. So his agenda is to fracture. The way that he fractures is he gets you to doubt the Word of God. So why Proverbs 3, 5 says, lean not on your own understanding. But we live in an education system that hates the Word of God. The devil don't want the Word of God in our schools. The devil doesn't want the Word of God taught in our classrooms. The founding fathers, the founding fathers said that the one textbook that is a must, that is an essential, is the Bible. Don't listen to the revisionists who try and pretend that the founding fathers weren't men of faith. 27 of the 55 signers of the Declaration of Independence were clergy. They weren't just Christians, they were pastors. Almost half, 27 out of 55, 51 out of 55 were followers of Jesus Christ. The Founding Fathers even says this constitution is for a religious people. It doesn't work for a non-religious people. In fact, George Washington said that. No wonder the devil is trying to dismantle the greatness of the United States of America. He's trying to get rid of the Bible out of schools. He's trying to get rid of the Bible out of colleges. He's trying to get rid of the Bible out of the courtrooms. Well, how's that working for you? How's that working for you? We've got more people on antidepressants than ever before. We've got more people who are struggling with addictions than ever before. We've got more people with suicidal issues than ever before. We've got more marriages ending in divorce than ever before. How's that working for you, world that has retracted itself from the Word of God, that has made illegal the Word of God? You can teach Buddhism, you can teach Confucianism, you can teach Islam, you can teach everything else in our schools except for the Word of God, except for Christianity. Why? Because the Bible says, in the beginning was the Word. Word, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And that Word has life and that life is the light of men. See, the devil doesn't want people to have life, but not only does he not want them to have life, he wants them to stumble in the darkness. When you find people come into this house, we, we, we made a decision, we ain't watering down the Word of God. We ain't changing the Word of God, we ain't meddling with it. I didn't write it so I didn't get to change it. I didn't write it, so I, don't, I do not have the authority to change it. It's what God said. It's what God said. Well, well, you know, Pastor, you, you just need to keep up with the times. Like the Bible says some stuff, like sex before. The Bible says it for a reason. I'm not going to water down the Bible to a sinful generation. I'm going to try and water down the Scriptures even Jesus said, and this is 2,000 years ago, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring the boy to me. Why was He saying that? Because His disciples who were mixing with the community could no longer cast out demons. And Jesus says, bring the child to me. Faithless and perverse. How long will I be? How long? Bring the child to me. And immediately Jesus cast it out. And the disciples said, how come we couldn't cast it out? Seven chapters earlier, Matthew 10, you gave us authority. Matthew 11, we come back rejoicing the demons submit to us in your name. Now Matthew 17, uh, we can't do jack. How come we can't cast it out? And Jesus says, because of your unbelief. 
In other words, in a faithless and perverse generation, if you get infected, you lose your effectiveness. If you get infected by the spirit of this world, you will lose your effectiveness. We made a decision. We ain't going to be an we ain't going to be an attendance church on Sunday. We, we ain't going to be the best show in town on a Sunday. We're going to be a discipleship church. We're going to be a church that makes disciples. We're going to be a church that is unafraid and unashamed of the power of the Holy Ghost. We're going to be a church that baptizes people in the Holy Spirit with the power of God because we have a generation outside these doors. We have a generation in a city that have been bound by the devil, that have been gripped by the devil, the kind of all kinds of addictions and and we need a church with some power, not programs. We don't need more programs. We need more power in the church. So the devil don't like the Word of God because in the Word is life. And that light is the light of man. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. So, so the enemy will, will, will use all kinds of sleight of hand he used all kinds of magic tricks to say, hey, look, here's life. Shoot this into your veins. And it'll give you a euphoric high, but no life. Sleep with this, jump into that, do this, drink that, snort that, go here. It's, there's a way that seems right, but in the end, it leads to death. But the Bible says about the Word of God, in the Word of God was life. In the Word was life, and that life is the light of men. I love when, when we have testimonies of people that were just given months to live and then the power of God, they hear the Word of God, faith rises and then all of a sudden they get healed. What happens when they get healed? They don't just find life, that life becomes the light. People begin to say, oh my gosh, well if that God did it for them, maybe they can do it for me. If God did it for them, maybe God can do it for me. If God can heal them, maybe He can save my marriage. Maybe He can save my son. Maybe He can save my daughter. That life is the light of men. The devil don't want there to be life because he doesn't want there to be light in our city. He doesn't mind church programs. He just doesn't want a church with power. Now you need to understand something. That, that, that God, God's power hovers all over the earth. God's power flows over the earth. And like a lightning rod, it's faith that attracts the power of God. Faith attracts the power of God. The Bible teaches, I haven't got to point one yet, so just bear with me. Faith attracts the power of God. We, 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 we want to believe that need attracts the power of God. Need absolutely moves the heart of God, but it's faith that attracts the heart of God. The power of God. How, how, how do I get faith? I'm glad you asked. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. In Matthew chapter 5, a woman with an issue of blood, 12 years bleeding nonstop, nonstop. She cannot stop bleeding. She's anemic, she's weak. The Bible says she spent all her wealth, all her livelihood on physicians and she suffered so much at the experiments and the things that they tried to do to stop her bleeding. But watch this. The Bible says, but when she heard about Jesus. How does faith come? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Who is Jesus? He's the Word. When she heard about Jesus, watch this. When she heard about Jesus, faith rose in her heart. How did you know faith rose in her heart, Pastor? Because her confession changed. Her confession changed. When she heard about Jesus, she said within herself, if only, 
If only I may touch the hem of His garment, I shall be made whole. The Bible says the crowd were thronging Jesus. He's on His way to to Jairus' house to pray for Jairus' 12-year-old daughter. And on the way, all of a sudden He stops and and the disciples are all around Him trying to keep the crowd at bay and everyone's jostling, everyone's jeering. And Jesus says, who touched me? And the disciples are like, what are you talking about? Everyone is thronging you. He says, I'm not talking about thronging. Somebody touched me. Watch this. Somebody touched me because I felt power go out of me. The Bible says the woman comes trembling, realising it cannot be hidden. And she comes trembling, kneeling before Him. And she testified how at the very second, the very moment that she touched the hem of Jesus' garment, power came into her and she was healed. Watch what Jesus does. Jesus says, oh daughter, your faith has made you whole. Your faith has made you whole. Now, all right, let's have a look. Really? Because she had faith before she touched you, Jesus. She wasn't healed before she touched you. Jesus, uh, in a court of law on further examination, it wasn't actually, it was actually the power of God. It was actually the power. It was actually the life inside of you flowing into her that healed her. Jesus like, I know that. I know that. But do you know why my power flowed into her and nobody else who was bumping against me? Because they were thronging. She was touching because she had faith. And I want to just highlight right now, I want to highlight right now, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Because right now Jairus needs to see that this distraction did not rob him. No sooner has he finished dealing with this, that someone comes from the ruler of the synagogue's house and says to him, your daughter died. Your daughter expired. She passed away. She (sighs) breathed her last. There's no breath. There's no pulse. There's no heartbeat. Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Jesus grabs him. Now, how many people know that Jesus was a great teacher? But don't you dare limit him. Don't you dare reduce him to being just a teacher. Jesus said, yes, I do teach, but I'm more than a teacher. I am the Word. And in the Word was life. And that life is the light of men. You just saw this woman. I said, your faith has made you whole. And he says to this man, he says, do not be afraid, only believe. Do not be afraid, only believe. Last week I preached about Martha when Jesus came to the tomb and Lazarus was dead. And he'd been dead for four days. And when Jesus turns up, she's like, where were you on this one? If you would have been here, didn't you get the memo? Like we sent a memo, Lord, the one whom you loved, underscore. Like we highlighted the word you loved, the one whom you love is sick. Like, in other words, hello, come immediately. We thought you'd drop everything. And she's like, oh, sweetie, I was on assignment. I was, she's like, yeah, well, while you were on this God assignment, the one whom you love died. How's that make you feel? <laughs> but you need to understand that Jesus, even though geographically, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He was in one place at one time, Jesus the person. So watch what Jesus does. He knows he can't attend. He knows he's on assignment in this particular city, this particular village. So watch what Jesus does. He says, this sickness will not end in death. So obviously, if you look at it, the disciples would say, well, you kind of got that one wrong. 
He's right most of the time, just got this one wrong. But nobody's perfect. I don't know, Jesus never said he'd never die. Nowhere did Jesus say he wouldn't die. Jesus said it just wouldn't end there. Because Jesus is the author and the finisher. Deism says that God started everything and then stepped back. Christianity says that not only did God start everything, but he's still involved. I want you to know that Jesus' quill is still full of ink. He is still writing. Don't, don't let the devil tell you that you had your finest chapter last month. Don't let the devil tell you that your best days are over. You may have gone through a divorce. You may have gone through a bankruptcy. You may have gone through a messy breakup. You may have gone through a difficult time. You may have even gone to prayer. You may have gone through all cut, but I'm telling you, your best days are in front of you. Jesus's quill has still got some ink in it. He is still writing. He is still writing the fight. He hasn't got to your final chapter yet. If you could read it, if you could have a sneak preview of what he's got it will blow your mind so Jesus says Martha roll away the stone she didn't want to roll away the stone she's like Lord there's the Middle East he's been dead four days in the Middle East it's hot he's laying in a tomb we don't got air conditioning we're about 2,000 years away from the invention of air conditioning so he's decomposing in a hot hue, do not roll away the stone. By now there is a stench. Jesus says, Martha, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? The word believe is not a verb in that sentence. We think that believe is a verb. Verb means a doing word, an action word. We think, we think Jesus is saying, hey, just, you know, I just need you to believe because she already does believe. She believes it's game over. She believes in the law of physics that is over. She believes, according to biology, it's over. He breathed his last. The doctors pronounced him dead. He stopped moving. He went all cold and clammy, so he put him in a tomb. She believes that it's over. Atheists believe. The devil believes in God, the Bible says. So, so when Jesus is talking here about, did I not say to you that if you would believe, he's not talking about verb. He's talking about adjective. He's talking about subject matter. Because if you back up, Jesus says to her, sweetie, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Anybody who walks in me, anybody who believes in me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Even if he dies, yet shall he live. Do you believe this? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection. I am the good shepherd. Jesus has seven I am statements. See, we live in a world right now that tries to tell you it doesn't matter what you believe, but I want to put to you, it absolutely does matter what you believe because what you believe shapes what you perceive and what you perceive determines what you receive. Therefore, it's very, very important that you look back at what you believe. The Bible says, whoever believes in me will not perish. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. What, is the, what shall we do to do the works of God? Believe in the one whom God has sent. My job every Sunday is to preach the Word of God to get you to change what you believe, to deconstruct, to dismantle the garbage that has filled our minds. 
Are you saying you're brainwashing people? I'm saying when I got saved, my brain needed a heck of a lot of washing. In fact, every time I watch TV, television, television, movies, every time I, you know, my God, I need to wash my brain again, get the filth off and put faith in. Get the filth. Let me just tell you this, we're not building church buildings, we're building altars. But what is it about the altar? The Every single altar that we build is a word diffusing, is a word dispensing mechanism that dispenses the Word of God into our city, dispenses the Word of God in our community. Why? So that faith can rise inside of people, so that God's power has a lightning rod, has a landing spot to land upon, so miracles can break out, so life can flow where there's been death, so that life can be the light in our community. Somebody say amen. All right, I better keep moving. I better keep moving. I better keep moving. So let me give you three areas where I believe that the, 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 the fracture comes into play. The first area I believe, and these are all areas that dispense or try to uh, displace the Word of God. The first one is fear. Number one is fear. There's an acronym for fear, false evidence appearing real. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Fear is a spirit. Psychologists, sociologists will try and tell you it's an emotion, but it's actually a spirit. And if God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, then when fear comes, I need to recognize this ain't from God. Because God has not given us a spirit of fear. What fear does is it comes and it overlays your vision and it skews your circumstances. Fear will cause you to see things in a negative light. Fear will, will, will cause a chemical reaction on the inside of you. I was watching a, a movie on, on the plane called The Momentum Generation about Kelly Slater and Shane Dorian and some of the great heroes in the surfing community. And uh, growing up on the, the North Shore, at least living on the North Shore, surfing giant waves, they, 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 they figured this out, that if you're ever out in a massive surf and a big wave breaks in front of you, don't go to fear. Because if you go to fear, your, your heart rate rises, adrenaline kicks in and it burns up your oxygen. You can't hold your breath as long. They say the best thing to do is just laugh. Laugh at the big wave because it'll completely calm you. And even though you're laughing, your body in a relaxed state will hold its and retain its oxygen much more. They said it's the difference between life and death. God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. So Jesus says to Jairus, don't go to fear, only believe. How many days are there in a year? 365. I wonder if it was a coincidence. I wonder if God just accidentally put 365 fear knots in your Bible. There are 365 days in a year, and if you count them, there just happens to be 365 fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not, 365, one for every day, one for every day, one for every day of God trying to tell you, don't go to fear, don't go to fear, don't go to false evidence appearing real, because fear says something you can't see will happen. I got a lump. Oh my gosh, it's probably a tumor. You know, my uncle, fear says, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, the change in the economy, we're gonna lose everything. God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. What fear does is it blocks the power of God and it gives room to the devil. I don't know about you, I don't wanna give no room to the devil. 
So Jesus says to, to Jairus, when he gets the news, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher anymore? Jesus grabs him and says, don't be afraid. You saw this woman, power went into her because of her faith. Do not be afraid, only believe. Faith is believing something you can't see will happen. Faith is believing something you can't see will happen. So different to fear. Fear is believing something you can't see will happen. So different to faith. Faith is believing something you can't see will happen. One is negative, one's positive. One repels the power of God, one attracts the power of God. Life is too short. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but one of love, one of power, and one of a sound mind. Make a decision this year. I'm gonna have faith like I've never had faith before. I'm gonna believe God. How do I get faith? How do I get more faith, Pastor? I'm glad you asked the Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We're gonna be a church that continually preaches the Word of God to put faith on the inside of you so you can see miracles break out. Somebody say, Amen. Number two, the second one, the second one that comes in is what I call mammon. Jesus, mammon is basically money. Now, I don't know where I was the other day. I was with, uh, I was with Leanne and we were, at, we were eating a sandwich at Borden Brew and they had some reggae music playing, man. Don't you know? And under reggae song, the lyrics went like this that money is the root of all evil. And I'm like, wow, you know. The, the Rastafarians were, you know, the, the, they, were very, they were very religious, but maybe smoking a little bit, little bit too much of the yakki weed distorted the Scripture. The Bible does not say that money is the root of all evil. The Bible says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, but money isn't the root of all kinds of evil. God wants you to have money. He just doesn't want money to have you. God wants you to, see, I can't go to McDonald's and order a Big Mac combo and they say, would you like to, go ahead, supersize me. Okay, eight ninety five. Oh, <laughs> you know, I don't have money. I'm a Christian. <laughs> but I've got a little tract. Uh, I could pray for you. God knows you need money. The gas company doesn't call up and say, you know what, you're a pastor. Hey, just forget it. SDG&E have never called me saying, hey, we just discovered you're a pastor. Hey, power's on us. IRS has never called up and say, hey, hey, we just found out you're a pastor. Forget about your taxes. So in Luke 16, 13, Jesus says, you cannot have two masters. You cannot serve God and serve money. So what's the answer? It's really quite simple. You serve God. Well, what about money? You don't serve, you serve God and you make money serve you. How do I make money serve me? Glad you asked. See, if you look at the third temptation of Jesus, the Bible says that Satan takes Jesus up onto a high mountain and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and their splendor. The shimmer, the gold, the shine, the wealth of all the kingdoms. And he turns to Jesus and says, all these I can deliver to you because they've been delivered to me. I can give them to you if you just bow down and worship me. I believe that that's the same spirit behind mammon. 
Mammon says, man, if you just had enough money, see all that shiny stuff out there? See all that fame, that glory, that respect? See that house on the hill? If you just had enough money, nothing would be impossible. If you just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of these things. But I love Jesus. He says, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and Him only shall you serve. See, how do I know if money is my master or if it's my servant? Well, let me tell you, it's real simple. The very thing that annoys the heck out of most people that come to our church. I don't like C3. They keep talking about, how come they always talk about giving? Because we're trying to get you to be the power, the master over money. Because if you have something that you can't give, you don't have it, it has you. See, if, if the offering bucket comes around, you're thinking, you know what? I, I, I like what Pastor John was saying up there. I think I'm going to give an offering. And all of a sudden money goes, whoa, 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 whoa. What were you just thinking? Oh, um, well, I was just thinking, you know, I've already put my tithe in, but I might put an offering in. Oh, an offering in. And how are you going to get home? Your gas tank is on quarter. Oh, well, okay, well, I'll just deduct that from my offering. What about those shoes you saw in Nordstrom's? And did you want to have dinner tonight? Aren't you hungry right now? Well, I guess I'm a little bit hungry, a little, little bit peckish. What were you thinking? You're right, you're right. You're such a good man. Listen, every time you give, every time you, every time you, you're selling money, hey, 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 zipper.com. You are doing what I tell you. I'm the master, you're the, now watch this, watch this. Jesus says, give and it will be given to you. Press down, shaking together, running over. Why? Because if money has power over you, God ain't gonna give you more. If you're already a slave, if you're already in bondage to money, God ain't gonna say, He's gonna redirect it away from you because He's trying to get you free, not bound. But when you give, every time you give, you exercise authority over money, God is like reroute to Him, reroute to her. Finally, we got somebody that understands. Watch this, I was watching Oprah about 20 years ago and there was a financial expert on there talking about um, the credit card debt of people in the United States of America. And then Oprah's like, man, this is an epidemic. You know, young people, 35, 40,000 in debt. There was a young lady on there, 12 credit cards, $10,000 each credit card max, 120 grand in debt, paying 24% interest. And you know, just, it's just ridiculous. And so Oprah says, my God, you know, how do we, how do, we do something about this dilemma? And the, I'll never forget the financial expert said, oh, Oprah, it's so simple. She's like, simple? She says, yeah, yeah. What they need to do is they need to get 10% of their entire debt, go down to a church or a not-for-profit and give it away. And Oprah's almost having kittens. She's like, say, what? Like she was freaking out. She's like, they're already in debt 120 grand. If she takes 12 of that, she's gonna be debt 100. How does that help her? And she says, Oprah, for over 40 years, I've studied the lifestyles of the rich and the poor. And I began to discover distinct anomalies and patterns. She says, and this is what I discovered. The poor are poor because money has power over them. When money has power over you, it is repelled from you. She says, and the rich are rich because they have authority over money. Because they have authority over money, it is attracted to them. She says, there is only one way to have authority over money and that is to give. These people, she's quoting something that Jesus taught us 2000 years ago. 
the spirit, don't, don't let the spirit of mammon, don't let money tell you what you can and can't do. If I were to listen to money, we would have never planted the church. If I were to listen to money, I would have never bought the first building, second building, third building, fourth building, fifth building. You know what? I made a decision. The money, you know, when it pipes up, I just pull a pacifier, put it straight in money's mouth. Shut up. You're not invited to the conversation. I ain't listening to you. I don't want to listen to your counsel. Listen, your job money, listen to me. Your job money is to serve me as I serve God. I'm serving God. God has a vision for this city. You don't get to a voice. You just get to go where I tell you to go. Do what I command you to do. Buy what I need to buy. Season capture what we need. Season capture. Because we got a mission and assignment. Right now you're trying to be a distraction. You ain't getting a voice. I'm walking in the voice of God. Don't let mammon tell you what to do. Can somebody say amen? Is this helping anybody? All right. Can, can I mess you up a little bit more? Oh, you're not going to like me. Go, go to... Go to the Gospel of Luke chapter 7. Gospel of Luke chapter 7. You're really not going to like me. February, we we were in Hawaii. We love Hawaii. And uh, speaking for one of our friends there at a great church, Mike Kai, Mike and Lisa Kai, they've got a great church there, Inspire Church. And uh, lots of homeless people in Hawaii. And I guess, you know, the weather's good. So if you're going to be homeless anywhere, you know. One morning, Leanne and I were, were going for coffee and there was a, quite a bit of mess on the sidewalk. And the Holy Spirit said to me that you think and you've been told that the vast volumes of homeless people, Hawaii, Los Angeles, San Francisco, San Diego, Chicago, is the presence of compassion. He said, but it's not. If the presence of, if compassion was present, these people's lives would be transformed. But the people over these cities don't want to transform. They use these people. They use them as leverage to take more tax dollars and to seize more power, even though most of the dollars never actually get to any of them. They just live in higher levels of luxury, the corruption of human government. He says, when you see high volumes of homelessness, it's not the presence of compassion, it's resistance of the Gospel. So I'm like, hang on, whoa, whoa, whoa. What, what do you mean resistance of the Gospel? So have a look at this Scripture. This is Jesus in Luke chapter 7. John the Baptist is about to be beheaded. He's about to be beheaded. He's about to slip out of this life and enter into eternity. And he wants to know, did I fulfill my mission? His job was to point out the Messiah and he wants to know. So he sends two of his disciples saying, are you the one? Are you the coming one or do we look for another? And Jesus answers and said to them, go and tell John the things that you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The blind see. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor have the Gospel preached to them. Did Jesus rip the poor off? See, to the blind, He gave sight. To the deaf, He gave hearing. 
To the lepers, He gave cleansing. To the dead, He gave life. To the lame, He gave wholeness, the ability to walk. And to the poor, He gave them bags of money. Sorry, He gave them bars of gold. Sorry, He gave them handouts. He gave them food stamps. He gave them... He gave them the Gospel. Because before poverty is here, it's here. I know it's going to mess with some of you. I know right now you're redirecting towards me. I'm just quoting Jesus. Jesus did not rip off the poor. And don't you dare try and be Judas and pretend you got more compassion for the poor than Jesus. And the poor have the gospel preached to them for 2,000 years. You study it. 2,000 years of human history, the number one liberator of people out of poverty has been the Gospel of Jesus Christ. The Gospel of Jesus Christ. The Gospel of Je When you see homeless, you know that's a city that rejects and resists the Gospel. The very answer to that's why we need to preach the Gospel. We need to preach the Gospel on the highways and the byways. We need to preach the Gospel week in, week out. We can't water the Gospel. It is the life transforming power. In the Word was life and that life was the light of men. Number three, my last point. You're going to love number three. You'll love number three. Can we throw number three up on the screen? There it is. Number three. Fill in the blank. See, fear, mammon, and then number three is just, what are you saying? In Genesis 3.11, God comes to Adam and says, Who told you you were naked? Who, who told you you were less than? Who told you you were despicable? Who told you you were no good? Who told you you're a disappointment? Who told you you're a failure? Who told you you'd never make it? Who told you you're not worth ever somebody putting a ring on your finger? You may as well just live with, that's the best that you can do. Who told you you'll never recover all, that you, everything's lost? Who told you you'll find more life in the end of a crack pipe? Who, who, who told you you're always going to be a failure? Who, who told you? What voices do we allow into our word, world that try to displace the Word of God? Can I just tell you the greatest thing you and I can do is say to that voice, you know what voice? You're piping down. I'm going to be somebody that takes this Word and makes it preeminent. I'm taking this Word and I'm making it first priority. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my Word endureth forever. There is life in the Word of God and I need some life and there is light in that life and I need to see, I need to find my direction. I'm trying to fumble my, my way forward in the dark and I need some light and that light is in the life and that life is in the Word of God. We wanna build a church where, where every single person that attends C3 doesn't just attend church on a Sunday, but they are people that are grounded, people that are rooted, people that put the Word of God on the inside of them. As the Word of God is on the inside of you, it'll grow faith. As faith grows, power will come. You'll find all of a sudden, miracle, miracle, miracle. You talk to anybody that's been here longer than about 
out six months like, man, I had this miracle, I had this breakthrough, I had this miracle, I had this breakthrough. Does that mean that God loves our church more than other churches? Of course not. But God is no respecter of persons, but He's a respecter of principles. He loves His Word. He watches over His Word to perform it. His Word never returns to avoid. It always accomplishes that for which He sends it forth. We want to be a Word church. We want to put the Word of God on the inside of you so you can become a life-transforming power. You can have life on the inside of you and that life can bring light to people. It can bring transformation. It can bring shift and change. Don't live a fractured life. Let God bring healing. And that healing is in the Word of God. We're out of time. Heavenly Father, I thank You for these magnificent sons and daughters. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to c3sandiego.com.